Hi, everybody. This is Christy with a quick editor's note. I just wanted to let you know we had a little equipment malfunction. And so in a few spots on Josh's voice, there's some distortion. I did my best to repair it where I could, delete what I had to, um, but just know that the distortion is not in your headphones or on your speakers. It was on our end and I'm working to get that fixed. But I wanted to let you know about that before we get started. Thanks. Welcome back to the Mountains in the Sea, where we find the highs and lows of each and every Prince album every other week. I'm Christy. This is Josh. And today, today, we have our wrap-up of Jill Jones. We do. Yes. She did so many great things. Lots and lots of stuff with Prince. Only one full official released album. Yes, shamefully so. Yeah, shamefully so. Yep. Fair. So what did we start off thinking we could do this in two episodes? <laughs> and who were we kidding? <laughs> this is episode three. It turned into a trilogy of JJ. That's right. Which is great. And today we've got a bunch of unreleased stuff or limited release stuff or promo stuff. Yes. That's and all. a couple videos. And a couple videos. That was kind of what I meant by promo oh, stuff. Stuff. I see what you said. I see what like you mean. Promo stuff. Yep. Yeah. I thought yeah. you meant like uh you know, tchotchkes, like Jill Jones squeeze stress balls and <laughs> like mouse pads. A, her little lockup inside of a crystal Ooh. A crystal uh, block or something. Yeah. You put on a little rotating Yeah, with lit a light base. under it. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's not give away too many good ideas on this podcast. <laughs> um. So we also have found a little bit more information about some things that we've talked about in the past uh, while we were doing research for this episode. And there was an interview on Good Day Sacramento with uh, Jill, and she said that Prince actually asked her to sing for you for her album. With you, you mean, not for you. Oh, I wrote it down wrong. Yes, with you. (laughs) That's completely right. I'm... I mean, if you're with you, you're for you also. But in this case, I think what you meant was with you, the cover song that, 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 that was exactly on her album. <laughs> yeah, we were speculating because it was the one song that did not have any Prince involvement musically. Right. And kind of guessed that, well, maybe he had done it and said, well, if you want to cover it, then I'll stay out of it. But he did ask her to do it. He said, according to Jill, that uh, he wanted to hear her take on it. Yeah. And, you know, she looked at the camera uh, and kind of joked, what well, was I going to say? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And she said it was a very sweet request. Yeah. 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 That was very cool. Yeah. And that was an interview from, was it 2017? I think it was 2018 or 2019. It was all that research recent. we did for this podcast. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, <laughs> <laughs> I watched the interview. I didn't write down when it was. I thought it was 2019. It was somewhat sometime after Prince passed away. Yep. Um, and also, she said that the little dog that's on the back of the album cover mm-hmm. is a dog that Prince gave to her, a little Bichon Frise by the name of Cuckoo. Yeah. Which she calls out in Mia Boca. Yes. Yeah. And uh, that his nickname was Soundcheck. 
Yep. Because they found him during a sound check. Or he gave, he, Prince gave it to her. Gotcha. Didn't find him. Prince gave her the dog. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. Like Prince is out in the alley and it could be a little doggy. <laughs> <laughs> Prince was a pet rescuer in yeah. his spare time. He was a dog whisperer. <laughs> So in addition to uh, the music we're going to cover today, also, um, I did a little bit of digging and found an interview with Jill from 2019 uh, that was in French, but translated very well. Uh, Just a little bit about uh, her music and uh, also why it took so long for the album to materialize and maybe why so many of the songs were rejected. She was asked... Um, if her entire album of, in 1987 was based on titles that Prince sang himself, were there demos of him singing all of these songs? And sh- her answer was, translated from French, totally, he always created a skeleton and he added what he liked, different voices and so on. He didn't need anyone. If he needed someone else, he could manage with his alter egos. It was fascinating. I had the same vocal register as him. And I could also do the high notes and if he that he could not reach, so he could also call me for that. We also recorded a song called Living Doll, If I Could Get Your Attention, and other titles, which we're going to cover today, that did not correspond to me vocally. A little too cheerful, while I have a pretty dark temperament. I can be playful in the chorus, but not when I'm the lead singer on a piece. So those hmm. songs that she called out, we're going to huh. talk about today. Cool. She was also asked about her album taking about five years to materialize, and she recapped what we covered, that she started working with Prince officially in the summer of 1982. His manager wanted the two of them to make an album pretty quickly. Prince didn't really know what to do with me at first, Jill said. The very first song we made together is Boom Boom, which we'll be covering today. He wanted to see what I was capable of. I impressed him. It was a good song, but at the same time, he took care of Vanity 6 and The Time. Then I did the tour, which was the 1999 tour, as a singer. And as his success grew, he was more and more solicited by other artists. After Purple Rain, people came all over to ask him for songs, and he wrote art for artists that were not at Warner Brothers, sometimes under pseudonyms. And I did the chorus on a lot of those songs. People were wondering who J.J. was in the credits which was a bit of a mystery, but my album had been in the background during all that time. So yeah, very busy time. Obviously busy. Yep. He needed her. Yeah. Well, he, he could do it all himself, but he couldn't do it all by himself in the amount of time that reality (laughs) brings. Yes. We all have the same number of hours in a day. Unless maybe Prince, because he never slept. So he did did squeeze as many waking hours out of a day as possible. Still couldn't do it all. But still only had 24 to work with, sleeping or not. That's right. Yeah. All right. Shall shall we talk about some of these songs? We should. We probably should. People expect it. (laughs) (laughs) So the first one that we're going to talk about is Our Destiny. It was recorded... At the same show where the basic tracking for All Day, All Night was recorded in June of 1984 at First Avenue. Yep, you're right. Some of the strings from this song were later used in The Ladder on Around the World in a Day. Yeah, I remember when this song, the unreleased version of it first leaked among collectors and everyone was like, oh my gosh, I had no idea that the strings from the ladder are in this song, our destiny. It's amazing. 
Uh, so it was released officially on Purple Rain Deluxe, but it's uh, joined together with a song called Roadhouse Garden. Um, on Purple Rain Deluxe, Lisa sings the lead vocals. Here we have a version with Jill singing it. So this is another song that got to be demoed by many folks. Yeah, super cool. So yeah, like you said, we basically have the revolution playing here with Jill singing lead vocals and with additional orchestration added, though it's not clearly identified as Clara Fisher's work. When I read about this on Prince Vault, I could, I guess that's the case because who else would be doing it at this time? Right. Um, and here we have a song that's relatively short, three minutes and eight seconds and fades out at the end instead of continuing into Roadhouse Garden like it does on Purple Rain mm-hmm. Deluxe. Yeah. Man, it starts off super fun. What a fun way to say $5, 20 quarters, or five George Washingtons. Yes. 20 quarters to my name. Five George Washingtons, no one to blame. Like <laughs> to her 20 name. 20 quarters. Yep. That's fun. Yeah, it is kind of a neat way to, you know, say I'm piss poor. Uh huh. Yeah. I yeah. have nothing. I yep. have half a roll of quarters. Yeah. And, you know, that's on top of, like, this, again, kind of avant-garde, dramatic Mm -hmm. drum beats and strings and vocal delivery. It's all kind of a neat mashup of ideas. Like, you hear this and you think, oh, this sounds so intelligent. And it turns into, you came to town and you were broke and you won me over. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Essentially. Yes. But it's sing-song and very Uh rhyme-heavy. But really charming too. Very yeah. upbeat and charming and happy and for sure. And it took me many listens when I first heard the song to get that uh, she's spelling out our destiny is to fall in love, and then she spells out to fall in L O V E love. I don't know. I don't know why that took me so long. It's a simple <laughs> four-letter word. You'd think I could uh, play along, but it's a little like how they spell out finally in G-Spot. There's, right. You know, there is some playful spelling lessons going on here, too. <laughs> I really appreciated her vocal range, but the second time that she says love in the chorus, like super low, I was yeah. like... Not, not a baritone mm, fan? No, no. I was like, oh... Let, oh, that let's... didn't bother me. <laughs> I was like, oh, you didn't have to go quite that low. It, sound, uh, it just sounds almost painful in the way it's being reached for. Mm. Dug down deep. Yes. I mean, since we're on things that bother us a little bit about this song, for me, it's the spoken word part where she gets into, I'm not saying I want to get married or anything. Mm-hmm. I'm, I don't know. Mm. Look. I'm not trying to say I want to get married or anything. I mean, I'm not ready to settle down. No, I don't want to have your baby. All I'm trying to say is you got to be the finest specimen of man I've ever seen. I don't know. After hearing Lisa's delivery of it, okay, which is a little slower and a little more mature sounding, I want to say. Look, I'm not saying let's get married or nothing. I'm not ready to settle down. But you gotta be the finest specimen I've ever seen. Jill's comes off as it's very quickly delivered. She has a very high spoken voice here uh-huh. and comes off as a little girlish to me. Yeah. 
But that doesn't really align with what's being said. The tone of her voice is, you know, very youthful. And she's saying, I don't want to get married. And then the part that really irks me a little bit, I don't know why, (laughs) is, no, I don't want to have your baby. Like, Uh it sounds very scripted, I think, is for me, where everything else sounds very natural. And I don't think that that's, it wasn't a very natural sounding delivery to me. Okay. It didn't bother me, but... I I can concede the point. All right. Yeah. So she's been treated better by Marlon Brando, Uh apparently. Marlon Brando never treat me like this. (laughs) After (laughs) after treat her like that. Her the object of her affection refuses to kiss her just yet. Uh So I guess he's a man of I don't know high morals. I I guess. I mean, it just seems like she that's something she would appreciate would be, oh, a man who's willing to take his time. That's right. I think she said as much on other songs that have been released. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it's a little nod to Prince's love of old Hollywood, Marlon Brando. Yep. Evidently, there was a version that Prince sang and his he said Rita Hayworth. Yes. Yeah. Yep. You're right. Yeah. Uh, and it's missing at the end uh, after she says, let's find a room. Do you want me mm-hmm. on the released version? There's this refrain of I want you mm-hmm. that is not part of this. The song fades out. A lot of short, short songs here. Yes, there sure are. Speaking of short songs. Yeah. The next one. Very, very short. Super short. Wednesday. Originally meant for Purple Rain. The uh, character that Jill played, the cocktail waitress, was uh, supposed to be madly in love with the kid. And this song was recorded and filmed, but ultimately cut as the uh, director felt that it didn't serve the larger story, which I can totally see. I mean, sad for her that all her stuff got pretty much cut, cut out of the film. Yeah. But... She still has a great role she does. in the film, and I it's think it's just still clear smaller. she looks up to him. And, right. You know, she's on Team Prince. She's not on Team Morris. Right. Yes. That much is for sure. For sure. Um, it did find this song, but not Jill's version of it, found an official release on Piano and a Microphone 1983 from September of 2018. Yeah, released in September 2018. Right. Which we covered. About before, shortly like, after yeah. that. Yeah. Yep. I think that Jill's version is even shorter than what's included there. Has I a little agree. bit of lyrical differences too. Yes. Yeah, I was trying to think too, like where in the film would this have fit? I don't know. You know, I don't either. Because uh, you never really saw Jill and Prince together outside of you know passing scenes and yeah. First Avenue, right? Very very short song, like you said, and a, and a baby baby life. baby grand piano yeah. kind of. Very tinkly. Very tinkly. Uh Uh-huh. She sounds very young and breathy. I mean, it's only a couple minutes long, and it takes like 40 seconds to get into any lyrics at all. Yep. She says, uh, Saturday night I called, you weren't even home. Saturday night I called, you weren't even home. 
Like, she knows what he does for a living, right? Well, that's true. Saturday <laughs> night, he wouldn't be there at all. In fact, Saturday <laughs> evening, he's probably sleeping. Yes. And then, and, yeah. Yeah, and later Saturday night, he's performing. And isn't she usually working? True. That's when she makes all of her tips. You would think. Yeah. Yeah. But I just thought that was a little funny. And this is a, a little milder than Prince's version. Yes. Prince contemplated suicide from midnight to... Yeah. And Jill contemplates your embrace. Right. Which is a little less troubling. Yeah, maybe over dramatic on Prince's part and more, I don't know, down to earth mm-hmm. on Jill's part. Yeah, but it still gets pretty ominous. If you're not back by Wednesday, there's no telling what I might do. It's a little little less uh, worrisome for the singer's safety and maybe a little more stalkerish. There is not. Uh, It came across to me as more of almost like a warm-up song, like running scales or, you know, the kind of thing you might do to warm up your voice. Maybe part of that is because it's so short. Uh, Part of it maybe because it's so simple, something that anyone who can play the piano a bit could sing and do on their own. Right. Um, it definitely has kind of a demo feel to it, or maybe it was a, you know, a song that was meant for like Jill being there at a rehearsal and singing. Yeah. That was the impression that I got, like Mm -hmm. that it was set up for whatever performers were happening that evening at the club. And she, the club wasn't yet open. And she just happened to be there early because she was going to be there to listen to rehearsals because yeah. Why not? that's what you do when you sure. love the lead singer. Yep. Since nobody else was there, she could just sit down and tinkle on the piano. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Wait a minute. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> she could uh, tinker on the piano. How about that? That's great. Uh, I mean, I don't know. She <laughs> needs to mark her territory on stage. <laughs> <laughs> and sing. So, right. Yes. Right. Anyway. Short little sweet song. Yeah. And then we have a pretty dramatic turn. Oh, yeah. As far as songs go. Killing at the Soda Shop. Yes. Remains know. without an official release. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, recorded uh, at the end of May 1985 at Sunset Sound. Uh, the day before they recorded For Love. Mm-hmm. Which is... Amazing because it sounds nothing like that. Really, like nothing at all. It's got these angry guitars at the start. Yeah. It has a super punk sound. It does. It's very, very like the Violent Femmes or yep. the Ramones. Yes. This is the kind of song they were doing totally yeah and when i first read the title years and years and years ago when i first heard the song and saw it was called killing at the soda shop i thought it was going to be about her you know 
looking good and getting men to look at her well, and, and chase her. It starts that's out what that way. It, that's, but it's not just a, I mean, there's a literal part of <laughs> killing oh, we'll get that there. we get to that we'll get uh, surprises me still to this day. <laughs> yeah, the ice, they were so hot that ice cream melted when they were in there. Right. So it starts off exactly what you think. Yeah. That it's going to be, they're going to be hot and slaying it at the soda shop. It is. No one could tell me Lulu about dressing. Ice cream melted when we was in the room. Killing at the soda shop. Like you said, it's got this punk kind of vibe to it, but also with the Claire Fisher orchestration uh-huh. in it. Uh, part of which was later used on the title track for Graffiti Bridge. Mm-hmm. But it also starts with a Prince rock guitar intro that's very fast-paced and... This whole song has no instrumental interludes and vocals straight from beginning to end, and it's kind of hard to catch your breath even singing along to it, which makes it fun and yes. a little dark, which I think Jill probably liked. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, and she goes from the killing of looking good to the literal potential final murderous final death, injury the death knell. yeah her and her friend lulu had a violent streak in them well i mean you can see why because lulu's got an abusive boyfriend yeah, she he does. hit her in the eye she started to cry and then she reached for her brother's switchblade yeah so we hit her in the eye she started to cry then she reached for her brother's but it's really more for like self-defense right yeah yeah that's right before that too at about 48 seconds to 57 seconds is where there's orchestration in the song that is the introduction to the title track from graffiti bridge yeah. So yeah, we've got uh, she had been hit in the eye, and then Lulu stabs this guy in the hand. Yeah, everybody screams. Baby, did I scream loud? She says. <laughs> but does she? Scream because she's startled? Does she scream because she's scared? Or does she scream because she's excited? Uh, I think she might be excited because she says, hey, we're having some fun now. Exactly. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) It's Ron Burgundy. Boy, that that escalated quickly. (laughs) Hey, we're having some fun now. So, yeah, she's displaying a little uh, antisocial behavior. So we go through this whole song with twists and turns and harrowing escapes. And it turns out it was all just a dream. There was a, a very last closing verse that includes... More shocking revelations of where people get stabbed in this song, including mm-hmm. in the ear, yeah. and Jill being surprised at how much you can bleed when you get stabbed in that location. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You don't say. Yeah. <laughs> Things. I mean, stabbed yeah. anywhere is probably going to bleed. Yep. There's some interesting, like, sound effects and things mm-hmm. throughout this whole... Horns and... Mm-hmm. There's horns. Stuff. 
then there's like a grinding sort of sound. Of course, you mentioned strings. And then there's like this kind of grimy bass sound. And then tinkling bells. It's just, it's very interesting. This is a lot of tinkling going on on this, these unreleased That's songs. right. It's, it's all very plucky and high. And right. Jill dreaming about her and her friend Lulu killing at the soda shop. Yep. That's right. At least she wasn't having a car accident in her dream. I was having a car accident in my dream this morning. That's, yeah, you woke yourself up I trying sure to did. slam on the brakes. I did. <laughs> interesting take there. That's kind of a... Um, I can see why it might not have been included, but I like yes. the song. It is an outlier from the sound of Jill's album. Yes, sure. I would agree. This is definitely not something that went with the sound of the album. As right. eclectic as it was, yep. this did not fit. This was a could have song. been a could have been a B-side though. It could have been a B-side. It would have been a great B-side. I agree. Yeah. Then we have another unreleased song considered for Jill Jones album. It was recorded in June of 1995, Living Doll. Did you say 1995? Oh, no. Yeah, I sure did. I think it's 1985. You're right. Right. Um, This was recorded three days after For Love, so all these songs, well, this one and the previous one, recorded within, you know, a week of one another. Right. Which is always, I think, interesting. Like, Prince is holed up or has a, a week off, and, you know, he's just holed up in a studio getting these ideas down. It's kind of fun. Uh, like the previous song, Killin' at the Soda Shop, Jill's on all vocals and Prince is on all instruments. And mm-hmm. we've got Claire Fisher overdubbing these with orchestration and horns. Yes. Very different song. Again. Once again, the variety is quite jarring as we go through some of these unreleased tracks. Mm-hmm. It's super peppy. Bebopper, rocker. Hey, Mickey, you're so fine-ish a little bit, too. Yes. That's what I had in my head was uh, a little bit of, hey, Mickey, you're so fine. Uh Uh-huh. You're so fine, you blow up my living doll. (laughs) (laughs) It had some really interesting rhymes. I liked the rhyme of sadistic and simplistic. Yeah. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, it was, I thought... Written well, sung well, uh-huh. a cool electric guitar at 46 seconds under Jill singing, I need a boy with a little understanding. Mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting that she used the term uh, boy. No, that's true, because she's all about men. Usually, yes. Yeah. And this one, she's like, I don't want a man. I want a boy who's going to realize that I'm really something special. I'm not just one of many. I'm amazing. and that, But then later she does say she'd be okay with a man as long as he appreciates that she is yes. young and like a plaything. Yeah, a plaything as defined by her dad, which made me a little cringy yeah. out on my morning walks listening to these yeah. songs. Like that, that was a, a, a weirdly uncomfortable, I don't know, telling us where this definition came from, a little TMI there maybe. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair, but she's really self-actualized. Maybe the support of her dad really, or the character's dad in this song, really gave her a lot of uh, confidence because she says, I'm my own girl. I like me just fine. Yes. 
Like she does not need your approval. Yep. She does not need some man's approval to be able to be happy in herself. She, but she wants to be appreciated and supported by her family. That's right. Which she is. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. There's a drum and guitar breakdown with Jill singing. I'm a living doll at a minute and five seconds that I wrote down. Go back and listen to this. Cause it's, Pretty cool. And then just shortly after this, of course, it's a short song also at three minutes and six seconds. When the lyrics stop and you think the song is over at two minutes and 33 seconds and it takes this totally different instrumental direction with a very revolution sounding drums and dreamy synths through the end of the track that are just from left field very uh-huh. unexpected yeah it's, it has this fake end and then it's, the end sounds like a different song yeah so, i mean i don't know what else to say i don't know we either get, we I get, mean, she's a uh, very strong woman she realizes she's cute but she wants to be taken seriously, and she's very comfortable within her own skin, that yep. is for sure. It didn't quite feel finished. I remember listening to the to the first time and having to pull out my phone and making sure that it was still the same song playing. <laughs> like, I had forgotten that it takes this uh, kind of 40-second adventure to the yeah. to the left, you know, at the end of the song. Like, is this still the same song? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. It's the same song. I guess you could say it got my attention. Yeah, uh, yes. <laughs> Which as is our move, next as we move song. into the next song. Yeah, we actually have a couple versions of the song. Uh, three. Uh, yes. Ish. Ish. Two and a half. Two and a quarter. Yeah. Two and ish. Two and two fifths. Ish. Okay. Yeah. So we have Jill Jones's version of "If I Could Get Your Attention." It was recorded around the same time as Under the Cherry Moon. Yep. How about the day before they recorded it for Sign of the Times? That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. The only officially released version that was widely released, there is a Prince's version, did get a release, but only on title. Yep. We'll get there. Yep. Was Taja Seville's eponymous album. Yep. Yeah, so this song bounced like many of the songs in this collection. There were just so many that were like, it's like, you know, dumping a bunch of rats in a maze and trying to figure out which one's going to get to the middle first. That's how <laughs> these songs are to me. They just bounced around so much. Because Jill recorded vocals. You said Taja Seville recorded vocals. Maite recorded vocals for possible yep. inclusion on, on Child of the Sun. Prince took it back and owned it and released it in... Never that was 2014 something like that uh-huh. so yeah this song this song made the rounds and only peaked up out of the ocean of Prince songs for breath mm-hmm. once or twice yeah and I'm sure we'll talk about Tasha Seville's version we will it'll be eventually uh, at the end of our sign of the times super deluxe which we're previewing now with things that are not included. Right. And we will wrap up after we get through all of Sign of the Times Deluxe with other things not included. Mm-hmm. My fir- I had not listened to this in so long. It's very super echoey, and there's these underlying dreamy pads that are kind of haunting throughout yeah. the song, I mm-hmm. thought. 
the drums and percussion effects on Jill's version that we're talking about now. I could not figure out where it was. It's this kind of... Like, yeah, it's like, like this a, like punctuating percussion noise. Yeah. It almost sounded yeah. like magic happening yeah. out of Harry Potter's wand or something. And I was trying to place where have I heard this before in Prince's music. And it's straight from the song 10 from Madhouse. And you can hear uh, that same effect in Jill's version. And all throughout Madhouse 10, that is the basis, almost the basis of the song, which is kind of fun. super cool uh i really like the way the vocals are layered uh-huh so you have a, a really higher vocals in the right channel and a lower vocal in the left channel and then there's kind of a more melodic one that's in yeah, both floating in between yeah somehow. <laughs> which i thought was really really cool I think we get some moments in here that fit Jill's voice really well. Like at 58 seconds when she sings, do I have to scream at the top of my lungs? Mm -hmm. And she screams my lungs a little bit. And it's very Jill Mm Jones-ish. And I've always loved the line that follows that. Until I've seen you, you know you ain't been son. Uh-huh. Like they've made up their own past tense version of the word seen uh-huh. or see. Yeah. Which is fun. Um, oh, I thought it was sung. Until I've sung you, you haven't been sung. I believe it's until I've seen you, you know you ain't been son. Huh. Okay. <laughs> She delivers a different lyric line at a minute and 32 seconds than the Prince's version where she says, maybe you'd like it if I talked real soft. Maybe softer words would really get you off. Prince's delivery is a little bit different and that's always fun to compare. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But man, this song fades out. Way too soon, if you ask me. I would have liked to have heard more. Not a real big fan of those underlying, dreamy, haunting scents and pads that carry throughout the entire song. But that's just just my ears. Right. I only have two. Yeah. But they're great ones. They're okay. (laughs) (laughs) Then we have Prince's version. Yeah, so this is much more recently redone, but it, mm-hmm. since it doesn't really have a home and was released as a single on title in the fall, it was recorded in the fall of 2014 and released on title in November of 2015, we thought, well, let's we'll cover Prince's version here, even though it was recorded you know, 20 years after Jill's right. version, he reclaimed it. All recorded during the sessions for Judith Hill's Back in Time. Mm-hmm. With drums by John Blackwell, which is just super fun. Yeah. Kind of the same song, but a little tighter delivery and without those underlying synth and pads. So it's a little more catchy and makes it less haunting and Mm -hmm. cleaner. Yeah. And it's a little more, more of a pop song. Yeah. Yeah. Not so much a 
I don't know, light rocker, yeah. you know, which is more Jill's thing. So that, right. that makes sense. There are just things that Prince delivers vocally in ways that no one can match. And an example for me is at 26 seconds where she's, where he says, if you would just stop so I could tell you my line, take a look in my eyes, you'll see we're two of a kind. If you would just stop so I could tell you my line, take a look in my eyes, you'll see we're two of a kind. And the way he delivers that and also how smartly that's written, because obviously you're looking into a pair of eyes that match, uh-huh. but he's comparing his own matching eyes to the him and the object of his affection, which is really fun like mm-hmm. we go together like my own pair of eyes right which i think is no. cool and sweet yeah well and i mean and that said like there's really nothing in the lyrics that's very unusual or groundbreaking or strange it's a it's a like a catchy love song sort of unrequited that said, no, it's so well written. If I could get your attention, I'd tell you so from the top of your head right down to your toes. Mm-hmm. It's simple and catchy, and the melody is just practically perfect. Yeah. We talked about uh, in our first episode how Jill really kind of owned. Baby, You're a Trip, vocally over Prince, I think. Uh, And I think the reverse is true here. His delivery and his layered vocals, some of which are falsetto, some of which are almost spoken word, Mm -hmm. and they match so nicely. Right. And he kept that from her version, where it's like in the different uh, stereo channels. Right. You're getting different sound and then a unifier in the middle yeah. in the middle that's in both channels it's so interesting it's such a nice technique yeah darling can't you see what it's all about do i have to scream do i have to shout and you know like we said they've recorded basically 20 years 30 years apart from one another did i say 20 before yes it's about 30 yeah closer about, to 30 closer to 30 yeah um, 20 something years, you know, we're both the difference. Okay. You know, Prince's fun and screamy delivery of, do I have to scream at the top of my lungs? And Prince is very much more demurred, uh, and layered and playful and subtle mm-hmm. with until I've seen ya, you know, you ain't been son. I'm going to say I'm 98% certain that that's what okay. it is, is this playful uh, way to say, until I've seen you, you haven't been seen, but it's delivered as, until I've seen you, you know you ain't been son. Prince's version at a minute 29 seconds is, would you like it better if I talked real soft? Why don't you just tell me what'll uh-huh. get you off? Would you like it better if I talked real soft? Why don't you just tell me what to get you off? Yeah. So he's not even trying to guess. He's like, just tell me and I'll do it. I've made a suggestion, but just tell me if that's what you want or not. Exactly. I'm tired of trying to figure it out. Right. (laughs) Right. And then probably my awesome, my most awesome section of singing, certainly in this song, maybe in this collection of songs that we're talking about today, is... 
uh, the last verse of Prince's version at a minute and 52 seconds when he sings, <laughs> if I could get your attention, I'd turn you on. Seven kisses and all your cool be gone. I'll love you good. You know I love you now, I think he says, now. Uh-huh. Uh, if I could get your attention, I'll turn you on and on and on and on and on. The way he delivers that, I think, is so fun. And like the song just gets lifted to a peak there that I swear I rewind and listen to at least twice every time I listen to the song. I love it so much. If I could get your attention, I'd turn you on. Seven kisses and all of your cool be gone. I love you good, you know I love you long. If I could get your attention, I'd turn you on and on and on and on and on and on. Well, and it's so great and it's so funny because he seems shy and a person who's having trouble getting somebody else's attention, you wouldn't think would have the confidence to say, I'll kiss you seven times and you will be melted for me. Is that not though, like the embodiment of most of Prince's writing where he melts women's hearts by being both man, woman, aggressive, shy, uh, confident and scared, all these Demure things. Demure and, and hypersexual. Yeah. This is... I it's mean, almost all there, and that, that one little piece of singing there is almost like, I don't know how you could better define his persona when it comes to, like, you know, going after objects of his affection. He's both bold and timid mm-hmm. all at the same time, and that is what is so mysterious and fun about his... At least the persona he put together as a as a star and a musician. Yeah, I thought the song at the end kind of has a Rainbow Children kind of ending, where it ends the drum stop and there's a little bit of echoing organs and it's got a very organic sound too. Very natural sounding drums and synths, and um, you know, again, a really this is a complete finished song released and it's. Uh, what, two minutes and 43 seconds. Mm-hmm. It's in and out, and that's why I always take the time to listen to it twice. I think you probably came into our office while I was working this week and listening <laughs> to it, and I yeah. think every time you came in, this song was playing. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she's yes. like, I think I know what your mountain will be. <laughs> we'll see about that. <laughs> and then there's another version... That, of course there is. Uh-huh. That includes a horns and strings. Right. Mm. Uh, could be String Genius, the um, Minnesota-based, uh, basically like work-for-hire group of uh, musicians that added. That we're like a Claire Fisher-type uh, connection, but um, I don't think it's Claire Fisher in this in this case. It's it's other horn, horn right. players and orchestration. But um, you're like... It- it was nice. I, I nice. Found, I found it a little cluttered. Whoa. I preferred it without it. Well, I mean, as advertised, it's the same track that we just discussed, but it does have more added to it. So it does add, there's more stuff happening, that's for right. sure. And it underlies the entire track. So, um, you know, with the horns added, I think it fits even more on the album Hit and Run Phase 2, which we'll cover one day in the future. Uh, but it has a very organic live drums, horns kind of sound. And uh, that's what that whole album really kind of sounds like. Mm-hmm. I was trying to kind of pinpoint what do I think these horns 
do or add. And I thought it was just another flare of like joy that was happening in certain parts. And it reminded me a little of Phil Collins' Susudio oh. with horn jabs, like at the five second mark. There are these just quick little hits of horns, and it kind of reminded me of, uh, I don't know, songs of that nature from the 1980s. Um, I can see that. I preferred it without. Well, I'm sorry you feel that way. (laughs) Um, I think if you listen to 22 seconds through 33 seconds under Prince singing, um, when he sings, you know, if you could just stop so I could tell you my lines, take a look at my eyes, you'll see we're two of a kind. There's orchestration under it all. That gives it more of like a dreamy kind of feel. If you compare this to Jill's version, where there's, it's more of like these haunting synths that make it a little darker. In this case, I thought it made it brighter somehow. Okay. To my ears, anyway. Um, it just sounded brighter okay i don't know how else to describe it um i still felt like i even i was trying to counterpoint your you know feeling cluttered there's a sec there's a part from a minute 15 to a minute 20 in the second chorus chorus where even more orchestration is added and it adds such a fullness to the song but to me it somehow still didn't feel overproduced or overdone which is kind of the opposite of how you're feeling But I'll also say that the added horns and strings give it almost a Claire Fisher vibe, like it fits nicely into the Jill Jones era we're covering, even though it's 33, 30 years in the future right. you know, from Jill stuff. It's an interesting technique where he's got this song done and finished, and well, let's try it with horns and mm-hmm. strings and see what happens. It's still happening yeah you know that that much longer so it was a cool connection not just that the song was recorded by jill but that the same approach was still being done of you know let's add some stuff let's let's take some stuff away and Mm -hmm. see how it turns out yeah i can really appreciate that and let me tell you i don't dislike it Uh uh-huh i like having double of this short song in the playlist back to back so it kind of feels like a longer track that's true and I'll just say, to wrap this group of songs up, that same ending verse at a minute 52 seconds, you know, mm-hmm. where we're talking about him being yeah. shy, but also so bold that, you know, I'll give you seven kisses and all of your cool be gone. That entire line, which I loved in the release version, is maybe even better to me with a little bit of orchestration and horns mm-hmm. behind it, because it's, okay. it's the culmination of the song, you know, before it just goes into this kind of refrain into the end but i just loved how the song is made to feel even more organic with horns and strings and yet you know we didn't mention the vocoder sax which i know you're not typically a fan of uh like altered voice the kind of vocoder thing it really works here I thought it added an element of fun. It doesn't seem out of place, and it's also properly 
reserved and not overdone. Yes. It's little parts and little places, and when it happens, it's almost like, oh, it makes you. It made me smile yeah. every time I heard that part. Well, because it's not the primary vocal. Yeah, I that's true. Found it very enjoyable. Yeah, it's very much reserved and and, and support. So the vocoder sax was performed by Marcus Anderson. We didn't okay. mention that on the uh, released version, and it's in this horns and strings version too. But um, it's one of the few times where I feel like Prince like picked up on a trend of what mm-hmm. was happening musically and uh, didn't overdo it. You know, I mean, when he went into rap in like the early '90s, he he went into rap. But here he's like, well, let's we can pepper in a little bit of this for you, but let's not make it a plate of pepper. Let's make it a plate of food with a dash of pepper. <laughs> yeah, there we go. It's an accent, not a yeah. the main course. That's right. Yeah. Nicely put. I'm hungry now. Can we take a break? <laughs> sure, let's do that. Right. We'll be right back after this quick break with the follow-up to For Love. I'm Christy. And I'm Jackie. And we are Killer Fun. We explore the intersection of crime and entertainment every other week. For as long as people have been communicating, they have been talking about who did what to whom, and is that socially acceptable? Because the boundaries of society, crime, and entertainment have always gone hand in hand. The more salacious, weird, the better. From books and movies, to television shows and games, we look at how life and art imitate and inform one another. And we can't get together and not laugh. So let's face it. There's going to be laughing. <laughs> Killer Fun is available anywhere you listen to podcasts. So join us. Thank you for sticking with us through that quick break. And as promised. Do we, we have your attention now? <laughs> we have the follow-up to For Love. Right. From Jill's first album. For Lust was planned for her second album. Right. The number four. Yes. Unlike For Love, which we talked about in our last couple episodes, that the Prince Bonics was missing. Uh, Here it is not missing. So, yeah, like you said, a follow-up of sorts to For Love. Another duet by Prince and Jill. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. I really liked it as a duet. had very... 80s beat and this vocalizing and whistling that really made it very of that era. Yeah, uh, the whistling, like you said, that's a great term for it. I was, you know, trying to, am I, how am I going to describe this? It's (laughs) It's just kind of a high pitched whistle and these kind of erratic drums that are real loud and echoey boy does it scream 1980s Mm -hmm. Um, did you read that the song was completely unknown until jill posted it on her facebook page Mm -hmm. in april of 2011 and there was a little fun back and forth interneting going on by jill and prince at that point Uh um, that i'll give you some Maybe some things you can post on our social media. Ooh, thank you for that little lead-in. If oh, you would I like set to set them up and you knock them out of the park. <laughs> Join us on social media where I'll share some links, as many links as I can to songs and lyrics and additional information. You can find us on Facebook, The Mountains and the Sea, a Prince podcast. You can find us on Twitter at tmats t-m-a-t-s podcast or you can send us an email tmats podcast at gmail.com like we said this song definitely sounds uh like it was recorded when it was recorded there's no mystery there no. um and i thought 
you know, if you compare it to For Love, For Love to me just has a more of a timeless kind of sound to it, you know? Yes. Where this is very much in the moment of late 80s pop techniques. Mm-hmm. That's very fair. She's going to beg. For lust, I would call you correction. I would beg you to come over just to sleep with me. And he's uh, going to perform a misdemeanor public nudity. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> For lust, I would undress outside your bedroom window in hopes that you would notice me. Though in 2020... It's legal for people to be topless, okay. except in parks in Minnesota. So there's like certain parks where people can't be topless, but it's generally people of any gender can be topless in Minnesota. Minnesota. All I right. Know, I guess but which you would think that probably most of the year that's not a problem. That's because probably why they t- thought oh, there's only four <laughs> months of the year that this is going to be a problem. But the rest maybe. of the time. Yeah. The rest of the time. We don't need to enforce these laws. That's like saying, you know, in Minnesota, it's legal to leave your foot in the oven at broil on 425 uh, we don't really need that law no <laughs> we really don't <laughs> wow yeah prince wants to undress outside her bedroom window just uh-huh. in hopes that she would notice him that's a new take on say anything i mean maybe <laughs> undress and hold the uh, boombox over your head <laughs> You really get noticed. He's not holding a boombox, though. No, <laughs> he's uh, um, fondling the full length of his temple. Yeah, that's I'm a assuming very... his temple is a euphemism. I don't think it's a uh, you know the thing next to his eyes on his head oh i thought it might be like a playing of his with his hair like christopher tracy from under the cherry moon kind of did that in a lot of memes and gifs that you'll find online but i guess it could also be dual meaning there (laughs) christy's like what are you from minnesota There is a lot of wanting to be tied up and getting tied up and mm-hmm. for love and for lust. You could climb upon me, tie me up and scold me, spin me around until I fall. Whatever makes you happy, I will do it gladly. For lust, I would do it all. You could climb upon me, tie me up and scold me, spin me around until I fall. Yeah, she's game. She is, and in For Love, um, she wanted to tie up, she would tie up her lover, she would tie up oh. all the women so she could take their men. Uh-huh. I don't know, There, this could, you might, in the late 80s, should have bought some Home Depot stock because <laughs> rope was going to be in short supply. <laughs> uh, has Prince found some new anatomy? How so? I don't, I'd maybe. play with I'd play with things you you never. Oh, thought you n- never had. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, in the back of his his Thunderbird. Yeah, which is uh, the, his Thunderbird was uh, usually his dad's. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, and would make an appearance on the Love Sexy stage and in Alphabet Street. 
Yeah, I think that it's he knows more. He thinks he knows <laughs> more about her body than she does, uh-huh. which is also one of those "oh, aren't you cute" kind of <laughs> things. Yeah. Okay. Okay, Prince. Yeah, if you don't have access to the equipment twenty four seven, I'm afraid you don't know more than the people who do have the equipment twenty four seven. Yes. Yeah. Jill, you know, in Piano and a Microphone, nineteen eighty three, her liner notes talk about her laying underneath Prince's piano and just mm-hmm. listening to him play. Here, she would lay on top of the grand piano and let him see what he could see. Uh huh. In a dance called... Oh, the funky striptease? Mm-hmm. song particularly funky no but that doesn't but mean that her striptease could have been funky yeah. yes i have i did not get to see that so i'll reserve judgment <laughs> about the funkiness of her striptease right yeah uh, i really liked this as a duet i mean it's always cool to hear prince's version of things um and so hearing this with him singing is cool is not my favorite unreleased prince and jill track I'm not. No. Uh, I'm no, not no. super wild about it. It's it's a cool thing to have and be able to hear, but I think they made the right decision. Uh, I think if there had been a it. second album from Jill, this would have been fine. But no, okay. yeah. Interesting ending too, as it fades out, where Jill super says, 80s. Shh, "No more words. Put your body where your mouth is." Uh huh. No more words. Put your body where your mouth yeah. I'm like, what does that exactly mean? It's like, mean? put your money where your mouth is. I and... get that, but how is <laughs> a body somewhere better than a mouth somewhere? I don't know. Maybe it is. I was trying to figure out what. I get that it's a fun way to rephrase, put your money where your mouth is. Like, uh, uh-huh. don't let your body write checks that your brain can't cash or vice versa or something you know (laughs) okay yeah basically take action is what she's saying yeah this is the call to action at the end of the song she's done with foreplay i think is what she's saying get on with it yeah that she's ready for the main event so here we are with prince saying that he could play with parts of her body that she didn't even know that she had. And her Uh response is (laughs) just get on with it. Well, how about you do something? (laughs) Step on the gas. What we came here for. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Then we have the Martin Ware version of four less. So Martin Ware is a musician, composer, arranger, and producer. He helped revitalize the career of Tina Turner. He co-produced Terrence Trent Darby's 1987 solo debut and produced Erasure's 1994 album. Yes. This Um, one's a little bouncier. It is. Let's not skip over Martin Ware's real claim to fame, though, was he was a founding member of the Human League. Oh, yes. So I thought that was 
pretty cool. Again, all of these, you know, on for every remix and unreleased track, it seems like there is, and videos that we'll get here to in a minute, there is some real talent like surrounding this album for it not to have been uh, even more successful. Seems right. like. Yes, I yeah. agree. So yeah, I'm sorry. I interrupted your take on this oh, alternate version that did fine. not have any, I don't think, Prince input. Yeah, it was all the vocals are Jill's. Yep. So it becomes not a duet any longer. Now it's all Jill singing, singing all the parts. Right. I thought it was um, you know, much less of a broken beat. There's a louder bass line in it. And more subdued lead line sense and the whistling sound that you mentioned earlier. I thought overall, I hate to say this, but it's kind of a tighter track. Yeah. Not as loose as the duet version and more of a pop kind of song to me. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine, she says with a scowl. <laughs> My scowling? Well, not now. You're smiling. <laughs> I didn't uh, think I was scowling. I just found everything that kind of bothered me about the datedness of the duet version. Okay. Vocals notwithstanding, the musical performance of this version of Four Last, I kind of prefer. Okay. That's fair. There's uh, really cool guitars. Yeah. The pillows in my bed, dreaming erotic fantasies. They kept the whistles. There's, there's like sound effects, percussion, and bells, and they're silly, but they're fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there is a refrain of the first verse at the end of this one. She sings the uh, correction, I would beg you, twice to yeah. open the song. And then at the very end of the song, it loops back around to that same verse one. Well, and she says there are no more words. Right. And then she sings more words. <laughs> no more words. Put your body where your mouth is. Oh, she's, she's teasing no. a little. It's okay. <laughs> she's telling him no more words, and then there are more words. Yeah. But well, what she meant was no more words from you. Put your body where your <laughs> mouth is. I'm going to keep singing. <laughs> Well, but there's like cool guitars and horns and synths in this ending part that make me forgive the fact that she says no more words and then actually sings more words. Right. Yeah. It's all about leading you in new directions. That's right. I thought it was fun. I, like I would have version. really liked a duet version with the sure. I'd sign up for the that music. Yes, of the Martin Ware version. Yep, yeah. I agree. And it does sound a little human league-ish, actually. That's fair. If you go back and listen, listen to the Human League, and then listen to this song, you can find similarities there. Then we have uh, the song that. Jill says she first recorded with Prince. Boom, boom. Yes. Can you feel the beat of my heart? Yeah. Although this is a reworking of it, not the original version that was recorded in the summer of 1982, which to me, not to my knowledge, is uh, not circulating at all. So what we've got is a revamped version. 
Uh-huh. Uh, With vocals recorded in 86. Yeah. And saxophone uh, by Candy Dulfer in the summer of 1989, making uh, it Candy's first appearance on a Prince song. Mm-hmm. And that was in 89. So right. that was even later. So. Yes. Yep. Yeah. This song got worked on basically all of the 80s. It did. Yeah, it did. It's believed that this would have been a single option mm-hmm. for the second album because they did make a promo video right. from part of this, which, which we'll talk about a little bit. Yeah, they did. I kind of uh, compare this to the updated version of My Baby Knows that we covered mm-hmm. in the last episode. We covered a 1982 version and their re- reworking of it. And... It has a bit of a 200 Balloons vibe to it also. Okay. Um, I hate to jump to comparing it to other songs, but uh, there are a lot of vocal samples and distorted voices, which are actually really fun. Mm -hmm. Um, If you listen to uh, this song, Boom Boom, from 19 seconds to 26 seconds. There are synth and guitar parts that are almost identical to 200 Balloons, the B-side of Bat Dance, which was released in 1989, which you can hear from a minute 39 seconds to a minute 45 seconds. And also in the song Bat Dance itself, 32 seconds to 36 seconds, there's a guitar part before Prince screams, get the funk up, and it's lifted straight from this part of Boom Boom. Very cool. Which I never noticed before. I was like, where have I heard this? Uh-huh. And then it finally hit me. I was like, oh, 200 balloons. Oh, no. Bat dance. Even more so. Even a bigger song. Um, so there was, a, there was some lifted from the song that saw the light of day, maybe without Jill's knowledge, even it's a little buried. Mm-hmm. And again, we continue with this whole bondage theme. Yeah. She says, you could tie me down and I wouldn't put up a fight. Yep. And in Four Lush, she said, you could blindfold me, tie me up, and scold me. And then she talked about being tied up in For Love. Yep. I mean, it's just... And she tied Prince up in the automatic video. She sure did. Well, real poorly, but uh, she well, did. yeah. I mean... She, she left him with an easy escape from that bed. <laughs> yeah. Get but up. <laughs> did he, re- he didn't want to leave, though. That's the thing. <laughs> yeah, but it was just... Really interesting how this was a theme. It was for a recurring so theme. Long. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's what they were doing from 1982 to like 1989, working on this whole set of songs that uh-huh. sort of had common themes because they were meant for an album, supposedly. So that makes sense. But yeah, the uh, you know, I don't know if her follow-up album was going to be called Bondage. Or- <laughs> <laughs> She's going to do a. Madonna theme. 
Maybe so, because there are connections, which we'll get to That's here right. shortly. Oh my gosh, I have more notes about this song at Bat and Bat Dance, and even the Thieves in the Temple remix from Graffiti Bridge. So listen to the percussion. There are these kind of digital percussion sounds in Boom Boom at two minutes and thirty-two seconds. They're the same ones used in Bat Dance from forty-nine to fifty-two seconds. And they're also used in the remix of Thieves in the Temple from 3 minutes 35 seconds to 3 minutes and 38 seconds. All the same exact digital percussion sound. Cool. What a nice way to notice a connection. And those were all, you know, within two years of one another, really, from 1989 through 1990. Mm-hmm. It's a little repetitive. Um, it's a little repetitive, but I don't dislike it. This became kind of a guilty pleasure track <laughs> of mine among this collection. Okay. I didn't like it at first. And then the more I listened to it, the more I was like, I this is, I would put this on an album before I'd put For Lust, the duet, oh, on an album if really? I were in the producer's chair. Oh, see, and I thought this kind of really emphasized the uh, juvenile feeling that she was trying to get away from. I don't disagree. Yeah, um, but you still liked it. But I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't the one arguing over it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't disagree, but I disagree, and I don't no, care what you think. Reason I, the reason I don't feel strongly about it is because I don't care what anyone else's opinion is. That's what a guilty pleasure is. That's I like this, and I spend a lot of time alone in my life, so I'll be listening to it. <laughs> well, I'm not saying I wouldn't listen to it. <laughs> Again, lots of uh, kind of late 80s production on this with the... Vocal sampling of even the opening to the song, boom, boom. You know, yeah. there's there's pitch shifting on her voice and a little Max Headroom new shoes action going on. Too. Yeah, there is. I did like her vocalizing at the end. Uh huh. Was really fun. Yeah, yeah. I thought very well sung. Yes, it's a fun, maybe a little silly. You know what I was surprised to not find was that Maite hadn't recorded a version of this for her album because this sounds right up that alley. Yes, I agree. Yeah. It sounds a bit like uh, the rhythm of my heart. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's basically the same. (laughs) That's why it sounds a little Uh, like... Yeah. 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 Uh, Obviously, the title sounds similar. It's a little bit similar of a song, too. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right, and then we have Flesh and Blood. Now, this one's there's some debate. What is there debate over? Okay. Other than the fact that it is the longest song we've covered in this uh, episode by far at right. five minutes plus. Well, nobody's debating that. So, according to Prince Vault, Jill and Chris Bruce wrote this song and sent it to Prince, who reworked it. Right. I saw other indications that were that Prince is thought to have written it. So, and of course, I did not save where I saw that, but it was a reasonably reputable source. I wish I'd saved the, or written down where I saw that, but. 
Huh. So there's a little debate over who wrote the song really and officially. Okay. Yeah, I read that it was a Jill thing and Prince reworked it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I also am now realizing I misspoke earlier about Candy Dolfer's first recording. It oh. was actually on this song, not what I said earlier. So point to Christy and <laughs> minus point to me because. Well, uh, well I didn't d- I disagree know. with you. I screwed up, so I'm giving <laughs> you a point. <laughs> <laughs> Can I get a point total? Because I, I don't know what we've gotten points for. Uh, so far, it's one nothing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'll take it. Yes. Sorry. I'll share my win with you. Yep. I, yeah. <laughs> sure. Great. Okay. Yeah. She added, uh, Candy Dolfer added saxophone overdubs to several older tracks um, in July and August 1989 at Paisley Park, and this was one of them. Yes. Yeah. Well, a keyboard part that later got used in new power generation. Yes. And you know what? I was racking my brain trying to, it's a simple little two note thing. This doon, 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 doon. And I have spent two weeks listening to this and going over and over in my head. And then it finally hit me. It's new power generation. And then I go and look (laughs) on Prince vault and it's not even a mystery. So I probably lost at least another five points by wasting brain cells trying to figure this out on my own and then realizing this is not new information at all, you idiot. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, the keyboard line were used in new power generation. You can hear it um, in flesh and blood from 28 to 35 seconds. generation from 10 seconds to 18 seconds again lots of lots and lots of vocal sampling as we've heard in so many songs from this era um, and notably a lot of the songs that have this vocal sampling in it have never been released mm-hmm. That's um, interesting yeah so I think that um, in Jill's version, you can hear Prince singing background vocals in a lot of places. Yeah. Um, like at a minute oh, yeah. in the chorus, you can hear Prince singing, I'm only flesh and blood. And at a minute and 20 seconds, the sample flesh and blood uh-huh. is him. Yeah. And then there's a sample of only as well. Yes. Exactly. Yep. So I guess obviously this is just about uh, I'm only human. Yes. I'm going to give an interesting way to say it. And it's got fun rhymes. It rhymes necessary with revolutionary, which I thought was fun. Yes, I think it's fun. I think that that part of the song in particular is um, the most sing songy part of all of this uh-huh. you know yeah. uh, i would do what's necessary when love's revolutionary uh-huh. it's a little oh i don't want to say forced but it's uh you know it's not super it's clever rhyming it's not super clever writing oh uh, that was fine all right i mean there's only like 300 stories and uh, that's right human history anyway that's so right. 
you know, we got to find new ways Variations to on a theme. <laughs> yeah. So there's some weird wording. Okay. I guess you could say uh-huh. that I've been used to love no good. Uh huh. But then it doesn't rhyme with the next line. Yeah. I'm ready and willing if you treat me like I should be treated. It could have easily moved should to the end of that line to rhyme with good. I see. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess you could say that I've been used to being treated no good. And then if you'd said it, I'm ready and willing if you treat me like you should. Like you should. Yeah, that would have been a more like traditional that. rhyme. It would have been a more traditional rhyme. It would. It yeah. felt really awkward. Oh, see, to me, <laughs> I you have notes it. like I thought it was almost clever that the word that rhymes with good isn't the last word, word. of the of uh-huh. the next line. It should be treated is kind of tagged onto the end a uh-huh. little bit and always kind of trails off a bit. And that was almost like it took the edge off of the sing-songiness of oh, okay. like the obvious rhymy part of the chorus. Uh. This struck me as, yes, aw- maybe awkward, but the, I mean, it's not a super normal song either. <laughs> no, that's fair. Yeah. So I thought it kind of kind of fit a little bit. It was about a minute too long for me. It does go on a long time at the end. Um, yeah. I did notice that some of the lyrics online were very wrong. Like in a minute and 40 seconds, <laughs> the online lyrics are, I'd never ever let a lover comb my hair on me. Where, I'm sorry, what they're singing is, I'd never let a lover come ahead of me. Oh. Not comb my hair on me. Where else are they going to comb the hair off of you? <laughs> I'm going to go over to this bookcase and comb your hair. <laughs> Makes no sense. Take your wig off, put it on oh the my head. Gosh. Oh, we'll go comb I it across the true. room. Yeah, that's true. I guess that, that could that could that could work. <laughs> oh man, the candy saxophone part comes in at two minutes and thirty eight seconds. Um, so every time I hear that part, I always think, "Welcome to Prince Land, Candy." It's <laughs> our first entry into the into the Prince Camp, which is. Jill screams only at three minutes and 18 seconds, which is another great Jill sing scream. And even though it does go on maybe a minute too long, yeah, there is a nice piano solo at four minutes and 21 seconds that um, is near the end of the song that I think is worth waiting for. found the distorted samples of flesh and blood around four minutes and 28 seconds kind of fun too and it fades out yeah yeah unfortunate yeah but then we have an alternate version we do which is all prince singing flesh and blood there's like a little like weird sampley bits 
like at 18 seconds, especially like you hear it before the singing really starts, which is a little interesting, but weird. My theory is that this version is Prince's reworking of the song from whatever Jill and... Who was it? Charles? Chris Bruce. Uh, Chris Bruce, sorry. Um, that this was his version before they re-recorded oh, okay. Jill's version. Okay. But I think it's great to hear him singing over his own background vocals in the chorus. Mm-hmm. Layered Prince vocals are never bad to me. No. It's got this echoey quality to the vocal yep. track. Yeah. Just kind of fun. Yeah. And again, he's kind of, I don't know. It's almost like he's singing this with a little smirk <laughs> to me. Yes. I mean, he's shy and cocky all at the same time. Yes. Well, and you can tell that this is probably always meant for a woman to sing. Yep. Uh, mainly because he sings, you be Napoleon and I'll mm-hmm. be Josephine. Yeah. Okay, baby. You be Napoleon. You be Napoleon and I'll be Josephine. Never, never, never come and he doesn't switch it. And usually when he kind of takes back a song, he'll yeah. revert to gender norms of like uh, Marlon Brando uh-huh. and Rita Hayworth. Okay, yeah. Back in Our Destiny. Yeah. Like he made a change to follow the gendered yeah. sort yeah. of yeah. We covered language. we talked about that a little bit in originals with, you know, courage and pronouns. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's some really cool samples of only, since we mentioned only mm-hmm. at a minute and forty two seconds after he sings I'd never let a lover come ahead of me. Uh-huh. Comb my hair on me. Uh, it <laughs> happens at about a minute 45 seconds. There are those cool samples of Prince singing only from the chorus, only flesh and blood. Um, and I do like that he shows us some of his vocal range in this too, even mm-hmm. though you don't look at this as a, wow, what a, what a, what a tough song to deliver vocally. I don't think this is it, but at three minutes and 11 seconds, he delivers his falsetto for, I guess you could say that I've been used to love no good. I'm ready and willing. If you treat me like I should be treated. a nice falsetto delivery that's different on that part of the chorus which as you say is awkwardly rhymed but cl- maybe I would counter that with cleverly written yeah how about uh, him singing over the chorus at 3 minutes and 26 seconds get it on get it on It's kind of an ad lib of his on top of it that I thought was really fun. Cool. And then I think there's even more instrumental noodling towards the end of this song that's even longer than on Jill's version, but it's filled with lots of only flesh and blood Mm -hmm. sampling from there to the end, along with a false fade out that starts at like five minutes and 12 seconds, and then it fades back in. Yeah, that was super fun. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, oh, another fade out. But no, Mm -hmm. it's back, and it's going to give us a proper (laughs) ending. 
Well, and there's something about the like the one of the last choruses that he sings too. Uh-huh. It's just like mwah, perfect. Oh, yeah. Just right. Hit yeah. the everything that the song needed him to do. He did it just right in that. Yeah, I think late uh, chorus. Yeah, I think I prefer Prince's version over Jill's here, um, just because it's just a clear example of you know produced, arranged, composed, and performed by Prince, even though he might not have composed it or written it. I mean, he made it his own song, and it sounds like a solo recording of his to me. Right, I agree. So that brings to an end, not the episode, but... The music. The music. Um, yes. We've got a couple videos we need to talk about. Mm-hmm. We've been promising to talk about the Mia Boca we have for we're, like three episodes. We're so like we're Jill. we're going to go ahead and talk it. Saying one thing and doing another. Exactly. So we have the Mia Boca video. Right. And uh, you had a little information. Oh, I do. Oh, about uh, the director, yes. Jean-Baptiste Mondino. Uh-huh. Um, he would go on to photograph Prince for the cover of Love Sexy. Um, and he had done other video directorial work for, I mean, a litany of artists. Don Henley, The Boys of Summer, uh, which won Video of the Year, Best Direction, Best Art Direction, and Best Cinematography at the 1985 MTV Music Video Awards. I mean, this is a very accomplished photographer and director to be directing a video for a debut album, you know, on uh-huh. Paisley Park Records. Uh, he directed the song, uh, videos for the songs Russians by Sting, uh, David Bowie, Never Let Me Down, Boy George's To Be Reborn, uh, I Wish You Heaven by Prince, mm-hmm. Lenny Kravitz B, um, directed uh, Bjork's Violently Happy video, and... Got to give credit to a friend of the podcast, Chamber Stevens, Mm -hmm. who hipped me to the fact that the video overall look and cinematography was inspired by the Italian film La Strada from Mm -hmm. 1954, which was directed by Federico Fellini um, from his own screenplay. And we went back and watched the trailer for uh, that show. And, you know, here's another connection to our last episode where we talked about a dub mix uh-huh. Uh, for Mia Boca and what a dub mix was. Well, when this Lestrada was filmed in 1954, it was recorded without sound, and they went back and would dub in vocal tracks and sound effects and that kind of thing, which was also related to the origin of dub as it creeped into the music industry from the film industry also. Yeah. So I thought that was very cool. So It was very cool, and watching the trailers and clips that we did of La Strada, yeah, and uh, then this video is super, super clear that that is very, very much where the inspiration came from. It's kind of a... That movie was in black and white. This is kind of pseudo black and white. It's like a sepia tone. Yeah, sepia yeah. with it's uh, sandy and poor. Yeah, I mean, but it's also really joyful and kind of glamorous. Uh-huh. Where uh, you wouldn't expect to find beauty, like where there's a 
a shipwreck and you yeah. know a barn that's falling uh-huh. apart and kind of a half abandoned road right and, but it still really works somehow yeah and it's yeah. shot beautifully so mm-hmm. it makes it, it's like making art out of things that are you know not that pretty somehow yeah. which is a ordinary or mm-hmm. even disheartening yeah there's still beauty in it yeah yeah. Speaking yeah. of beauty, Jill is very pretty oh. in this video, and she's got this tiny little dress on, mm-hmm. walking barefoot, carrying her three-inch high heels, and clapping them together for the percussion accent, which is one of my favorite parts of the song. And it's I thought so that was fun. really, I'd love to know whose idea that was. Yeah. Was, you know, let's do this with your shoes, and it was sort of an endearing thing for her right. character in the, yes. in, the, in, in the video. And she's surrounded by these three boys who are infatuated with her. Uh-huh. There's like these like tween boys yeah. who are following her around and watching her. And then there's some like young adult sort of oh, yeah. young men, a little bit older, but still really young. And they're all very interested in her because she's lovely. Uh-huh. Yeah. So that made it, as we're watching the video, I was like, you know what this reminds me of is... Uh, what is that Madonna song where she was uh, doing a strip tease behind this? You know, you had to put quarters to open a screen to see her, and there's a boy watching her. And I'm like, these boys remind me of that. I bet this guy probably went on to direct that video for Madonna. <laughs> so we went looking it up, and it was the song Open Your Heart. And lo and behold, oh. guess what? Jean Baptiste Mondino has yet another video after Mia Boca starring Madonna with little boys watching a dancing and scantily clad woman. Yes. It's really funny how these like little boys also had guns. Yeah, little toy guns, yeah. like toy cowboy like pistols. Playing and yeah. boom boom like that. But pew, it's pew, really pew. <laughs> not boom boom. <laughs> pew pew. Yes, but they're like little boys playing games. They're playing at being adults Uh with their guns. And they're also kind of playing at being an adult by gawking at this woman. But it seems less salacious. So what you're saying is this was ahead of its time. (laughs) Okay. It also has some film techniques, especially at the beginning of the video, where uh, it kind of matched old films where things were kind of faster motion than they should be right. and you know there are silly like in La Strada there's a silly horn uh-huh. uh, where this woman walks up and scares a guy with a with a trumpet and it's uh-huh. a silly little um, sound effect and uh-huh. here we've got one of these boys on the hilltop uh, shooting his guns yeah uh-huh. <laughs> you know like Yosemite Sam uh-huh. yeah. well and then there's subtitles there are subtitles in one part, even though she's been singing in English the entire time. Yes. Yeah. Well, and I think that that's another Lestrada thing. Thing. Okay. Because it was an Italian film. So right. if you were an English speaker, you were going to have subtitles with it. And the subtitles were in the same style as what was in the movie. Yeah. So I was All like, all those kind of kind old looking. Uh-huh. Yeah. But not, not like we have closed captioning now. It was yeah. a little different. Yeah. It was very neat, I thought. Yeah, very yeah. cool. Um, and some not easy to pull off effects too in this video with uh, the words of the chorus in kind of a script 
type treatment, spinning around Jill, going behind her and casting a shadow on the sand and then uh-huh. going off screen. Yeah, it's kind of, oh, it looks like wind almost yeah. or like leaves caught in wind that blow around her and, mm-hmm. you know, go off into the distance. And as you mentioned, they're like in front of her and behind her and cast a shadow and... Yeah, I'd a lot love of to attention. know the story of how they did that in 1987. Today it would be, you know, almost commonplace. Right. That kind of stuff happens all the time. But, um, you know, working with video in the late 80s is a lot different than working with it in 2020. Yes. Um, and we also kind of noticed, hey, the kind of swirling wind text in Mia Boca is very similar to the text that spins around the side-scrolling video for I Wish You Heaven. Yes. Which was also directed by the same guy. Yes. Very cool. Yeah. I I thought, you know, we have seen a lot of, I'm sorry, very crummy videos. This uh, was not one of them. No, this was not one of them at all. I thought this was fun to watch. It made me laugh in certain places. It was cute, and you could almost kind of overlook the... Uh, little kids peeking around the corner and wanting to get their eye on Jill. Uh-huh. And, you know, it's not a it's not a creepy thing. It's kind no. of a cute thing. Yeah, especially the little boy with the sailor hat. He's my favorite. Yeah, he was really cute, and he was a little younger than yeah. the other boys. Well, he was certainly yeah looked the youngest. Yeah, and was the shortest too. So yeah. he has a special place in my heart. <laughs> Then we have uh, the promo video for Boom Boom, yeah, which this... is why it was thought to be the right. single selection or a single selection from what would have been Jill's second album. Right. Um, and I could not find who the director was for this video. I would guess it would be filed under Paisley Park. Uh-huh. Uh, not only unclear who the director was, also unclear to me why there was a decision to go ahead and make a promo video for a song slotted for an album that would be abandoned. Obviously, it, it, they never got close to finishing it. I guess they were trying to get ahead. I, I guess, or they just assumed it was going to happen and they had some time and they went ahead and did it. And It's a pretty low-quality... Uh, rendition of it it looks like it was probably nice at one time and right my theory was that because it's streamed in the cyberclips room uh in the new power generation music club website in may of 20 2006 someone at that time probably digitized it and made it 640 by 480 resolution so as we watch it on a 4k tv uh, it's very pixelated, and it's the quality struggles quite a bit. Yeah, it does. I but. thought that it had... So, I, I mean, I guess I could sum up the storyline here. Jill is dancing, and there are a few men watching her, most um, of whom look like who was the Fresh Prince's sidekick on the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Yeah, his cousin. Yes. I remember. They all look like him. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, there's really not much narrative. It just seems like it's Jill and a guy in a suit, and she alternates between underwear and a suit-like outfit. Yes. And they do... Very late 80s uh, power woman career suit. Shoulder pads and a tie. Yeah. They were doing sexy stuff alone and in a club. Yes, they were. And... Wow. That wraps that up with a bow, folks. (laughs) 
It also had the the look of a CNC Music Factory video, like gonna make you sweat. Yeah. I thought, wow, that's totally fits that whole time period of videos. Yeah. You know, a lot Jill dancing on a, a white seamless background, and there's stark shadows and that kind of stuff going mm-hmm. on. Yep. But she does wash her hands at the end. She, oh, we it's, did notice that. We we're like, boy. <laughs> in right. the end of 2020, you know, here we are in the end yep. of summer of 2020. We're not at the end of 2020. Yeah. Uh, hey, we think it's a really good choice for you to wash your hands. That's right. I don't know how many times she touched her face in the video, but I think she did that a lot. Yeah. Because it's sexy to touch your face, which is why 2020 is like the least sexy year ever. <laughs> Well, I hope uh, the guy in the suit was part of her bubble. I hope so, too. I mean, I did, weren't there, like, window blinds behind him? Like, it was I very, so. uh, wow, it looked dated. Yeah, it did. Super dated. Yeah, it did. All right, and that's it. That's all we're going to talk it? about this whole uh, episode. But we do have selections to make. We do, but with that, uh, it was fun to spend three episodes Visiting Jill's work with Prince and, you know, some of it was awesome and some of it was maybe best left unreleased, but man, what a body of work and there should have been a second album out of all this. I'm really sad that there was not. Yeah, me too. And I still think her solo album, the first on Paisley Park, is one of the most revered Paisley Park associated artist releases and I'm glad that it's elevated to that level. Because it was great. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So we choose three things. We choose a time capsule. Yep. Something that exemplifies, I guess, the time at which it was recorded because most of this remains unreleased. Yeah. Um, We choose the low point, the C, the bottom, the S-E-A, the low point. Right. And then we choose a mountain, our high point, the thing we like the most. Right. The... Rules are mine, so I'm going to go first. Fair enough. So the time capsule. Uh-huh. Uh, for me, it was killing at the soda shop because oh. of the strong punk vibes. Mm-hmm. It sounded very, very much like at that point in the 80s. Yeah. And it was so different from anything else that she had done. All true. Yeah. Another song that sounded like it could have been on 1999 Super Deluxe with the collections of songs recorded in 82. Yep. Would have fit there too. Yeah. Yeah. I found this tough because these songs span such a long period, like seven years from 1982 to 1989. But because of its ties to one of Prince's biggest hits in Bat Dance, I'm going to go with Boom Boom because when I hear that song... All I can hear now are the guitar parts that sound like Bad Dance and yeah. the little percussion parts that sound like Bad Dance. And the production of it sounds like a late 80s thing. And then seeing the promo video that reminded me of Gonna Make You Sweat by mm-hmm. CNC Music Factory. Uh, that that was the one song that linked back to a particular time the most to me. So there you go. Boom, cool. boom. All right. The C, the low point. Yeah. Um, for me... Despite the great music that was in it, was uh, Martin Ware's version of Four Lust. Really? Only because I so much preferred it as a duet. I am shocked because even without Prince's voice, I preferred oh, really? Martin Ware's version mm. over the odd percussion stuff going on. Even though I love to hear Prince's voice, Yeah, that updated version was a little better to me. No, oh, okay. 
Well, wow. That's fine. Well, Shocker. That's at least a social media post right there. <laughs> Shocker reveal as Christy talks about her C. <laughs> Josh disagrees. What's your C? Uh, my C is Wednesday, Jill's version, oh. just because of the baby piano, and it kind of sounded just like running chords or warming up, um, and I get that it was probably sort of a demo-ish kind of thing, but compared to everything else we had here, it was more like winds meh to me. Yeah, okay. Sounds Sorry, good. Wednesday. Yeah. All right, and then the mountain, the thing that we like the most. Yeah. Uh, was Prince's version of If I Could Get Your Attention Without the Horns. For you? For me, it was Without the Horns. Wow. Yeah. I wondered if you might come around to that song or if you might find it. There was no coming around to it. I already liked it. Oh, I was like, I don't know. This vocoder thing might just turn her off. It was used so sparingly. Yeah. That it didn't bother me. Oh, cool. At all. Well, I'm sitting next door to you, my favorite, and I did not feel this way going into listening to these songs, but I think I prefer the horns and strings version of If I Could Get Your Attention to the released Prince version. So I'm going right next door to you, and I'm putting my horns and my strings on my favorite tune. Very cool. Very cool. All right. Well, what are we going to talk about next time? Well, we still have got a couple episodes before we can get into Sign of the Times Super Deluxe Edition as we are awaiting its release. So we're going to continue with our things not on Sign of the Times Super Deluxe Edition theme with Sheila E's self-titled 1987 Paisley Park album, which is her third album and will be the second that we've covered of hers. Mm -hmm. And we're going to include remixes and B-sides in with this also. Um, So we've got quite a lot to cover for Sheila coming up next. Yep. Super fun. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for listening. We know you make a choice when you listen to us. We don't just come on the radio and we really appreciate it. Please rate and review because it really does help us to get found and we'd love to be found so that we can continue to bring you this show. If you cannot give us a five-star rating, do email us at teamoutspodcast at gmail.com and let us know why. We love to hear from you. We really, really do. I still have a few stickers left, so if anybody is still wanting a sticker... These are high-quality stickers, they're, too. They're really nice They are not stickers. pieces of crap. No, they're nice stickers, suitable for laptops, cars, or anywhere you might... Sticker. Like to sticker something sticker it where you want to it'll stay all right until next time happy purple listening thank you sorry spencer recording my podcast you'd be more like Back here with, with a piece pa- of paper. paper. Yeah, from- closer to the mic. Yeah. Here, I'm talking like this. I can't believe they let that silly. pass. It sucked. It did. It was. I'm sorry. I still wanted it to be good. All right.